All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the second day of June 2020. And I do want to thank all of you for listening to this show and uh, want to encourage you to send along your comments and questions, anything, any remarks you might have about this show to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. This week's sponsors are RN Resources, EV Gold Resources, uh, Great Bear Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, and Sitka Gold Corp. I've titled today's show The Path to Monetary Collapse. Alastair McLeod and Corwin Co. of Sitka Gold Corp. will be with us. Even before uh, massive social unrest sprung up here all across the United States cities, Alastair McLeod wrote uh, a couple of weeks back, he wrote, and I quote, Few understand the seriousness of the economic and monetary situation, whether a V-shaped rapid return to normality or a more prolonged recovery phase. A liquidity crisis that developed in the U.S., money, money markets, five months before COVID-19 hit America has been forgotten. Only a rising gold price stands testament to a deeper crisis of contracting bank credit. While central banks are trying to rescue the economy, fund government deficits, and keep the market bubble inflated. The next problem, a crisis in European banks wholly unexpected by investors and depositors. Now when lending risk is soaring, their financial condition is more fragile than before the Lehman crisis. Failures in the next few months are a near certainty, leading to a full-blown monetary and credit crisis, which promises to undermine asset values, government funding, and fiat currencies themselves, end of quote. While the next major problem impacting the global financial system may well be a crisis in European banks, we'll certainly ask Alistair about that, The massive lawlessness and thuggery being undertaken by the same members of uh, one political party in the United States who attempted a soft coup against the current president are now standing behind Antifa that is launching a coordinated effort to overthrow the current United States government in a much harder coup. Strangely silent about the massive damage to our major cities, our former President Obama, and a host of other Democrats who are not so secretly, uh, not so uh, that are not so secretly in support of Antifa, 
that has now been labeled a domestic terrorist organization by the Trump administration. Regarding what is taking place now, the words of Cicero, written in 58 BC, come to mind in trying to understand. And I quote Cicero, he said, a nation can survive its fools and even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known and carries his banner openly. But the traitor moves amongst those within the gate freely, his sly whispers rustling through all the alleys, heard in the very halls of government itself. For the traitors appear not a traitor. He speaks in, a ca- in accents... He speaks in accents familiar to his victims, and he wears their face and their arguments. He appeals to the baseness that lies deep in the hearts of man. He rots the souls of a nation. He works secretly and unknown in the night to undermine the pillars of the city. He He infects the body politics so that it can no longer resist. A murder is less to fear. The traitor is the plague. End of quote. What I think is very clear is that we are living at a time when America, as we have known it, is being destroyed. The Antifa thugs have been denying the conservatives the right to speak on our university campuses over the past few years, and the destruction displayed at various campuses around the country since Trump was elected has been a prelude to the same activities that are destroying capital in our major cities. Sending rocks through windows and setting campus buildings on fire when conservatives sought to speak at Berkeley and other major campuses was simply the warm-up for what is being uh, extended across the nation now. In attempting to live up to the name of this show, we seek to have guests who provide some insights into why things are changing as they are, as opposed to the propaganda that we are fed by a self-serving mass media. It may very well be that the independent voices like this one, as well as those of guests that I have on the show, will soon be shut down. Perhaps this program might have a little longer lifespan because its impact is not all that great, certainly not as much as the mainstream. But is it difficult to imagine, for example, if a Democrat, if the Democrats gain the White House and both branches of of the legislature that Fox News and Fox Business channels won't be shut down by a sitting president like, let's say, a Kamala Harris, while the Democrats' voices of propaganda at CNN uh, and MSNBC uh, and MSNBC will continue, uh, then with a complete monopoly of the airwaves, not unlike the Soviet Union and all dictatorships of the past. With the First Amendment now disappearing rapidly, I don't see how we avoid seeing our beloved country spiral into a dictatorship. Perhaps I'm being too gloomy. I pray that I am. So we may be entering a very dark future as the sinful nature of humanity seems to be gaining the upper hand against the Declaration of Independence that said that we are all endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That was a statement that each of us are created uniquely by God with a purpose to serve each other by freely using our unique talents. And for a long time, our capitalist system worked pretty well 
until our government undermined our freedom by forcing us to use a counterfeit dollar that has increasingly obscured price discovery and markets that no longer work very well. Not only that, but by granting the right to print money, those closest to the government printing presses have been increasingly able to, uh, to bastardize free markets by buying our government, uh, basically buying privileges in our government and getting laws passed in their, uh, in their favor. And though those same interests have infiltrated our, mil- our media for sure over the years and our universities, sowing anti-constitutional propaganda that is now barring, that is now really bearing the evil fruit we are witnessing every evening across America as the sun goes down. How should we respond to the demolition of America? Without a doubt, we need to continue to speak truthfully, even if even if uh, terms that even if the terms that we speak about get us into trouble. If we believe them to be true, I think we owe it to ourselves and to those around us to speak truthfully. I have a pretty good idea when I'm not speaking what is politically correct, and I know what I have been saying so far today is certainly not politically correct. But more importantly, as a Christian, I am called to love my enemies, realizing that when these young criminals are running through the streets, killing and looting, that what is transpiring is not a problem of flesh and blood, but of the spirit. The solution to that spiritual problem are not more guns and bullets, but rather loving our enemies and doing good to those who try to hurt us. And of course, the only way to act in that unnatural way is to trust in the promises that we have received from our Creator. The pagans who are looting our stores and killing our policemen are spiritual enemies from within our country, just as those who were raising hell in Cicero's time. So this is nothing new in history. As Benjamin Weicker, professor at Franciscan University, explained on this show in the past, Christianity gained a foothold in the dying Roman Empire because Christians, in fact, loved their pagan enemies more than the pagans loved themselves. They loved them by doing good things to their enemies. So if we want to own, if we want to do our small part to make this a better world, we have to start by loving those that we come in contact with. Of course, to love and care for those around us, we need to take care of our health and our finances. And so even though gold is getting hit pretty hard today, it must be pointed out that exchanging the fraudulent fiat money into into longer-term savings in gold is the most prudent thing that we can do. If you think that that's bad advice, well, consider the following performance of gold compared to the Dow Jones Industrial since this new century began. Gold has risen from $276 uh, back in uh, 2000, on January 1st, 2000, to $1,738 earlier today. That's a 529% increase. The Dow Jones, by contrast, has risen from $17,510 to $25,558, a rise of just 46%. Gold bullion has even beaten Warren Buffett by a landslide since the new century began. Sure, gold can be volatile at times as measured in dollars, but the long-term trend retaining value to the most assets measured in fiat monies is undeniable. On the other hand, gold shares have a lot of catching up to do. John Hathaway of the Sprott Gold Equity Fund recently was quoted as follows. 
for whatever set of reasons, gold shares in relation to bullion are the cheapest they've been in 20 years in this business. What astonishes me, John said, is I am an old value investor, is that so many companies are generating free cash flows, and it is not hard to find companies with free cash flow yields of 10% or better. One junior exploration company that I have high hopes for is Sitka Gold Corp. It's a stock that I personally own and have it as a recommendation in my newsletter. When we come back from our first commercial break, Corwin Co., the CEO of Sitka, will join me to explain his company's progress on not one, but three different projects. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Corwin Co. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Corwin Coe. He's the uh, CEO of Sitka Gold Corp. Uh, thanks for joining me again, Corwin. Thanks, Jay, for the invite. It's really good to have you with us. I should tell our listeners uh, that your, um, your stock trades in Canada under the symbol uh, SIG, I believe it is. Uh, and in the U.S., you can buy it under SITKF, which is what I've done. Um, I believe, uh, Corwin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 48.4 million shares more or less after you've just done a financing. Is that, does that sound that's about correct. right? Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, and earlier today, I noticed your stock was up a little bit in spite of the fact that it's been a pretty, pretty rough day for gold shares in general. But it's trading at a mere 18 cents and uh, giving it a market cap then of around 8.7 million in Canadian money. I think, uh, given what I know, or I think I know about your properties, your three properties, Corwin, is that that's kind of a ridiculously low market cap, which is good news for those that don't own the stock yet, I think. At least that's the way I feel. So uh, I really would like to, uh, to get into what you're planning to do now. I know that you have your three projects. I believe the next one that you're looking forward to start working on in earnest is in uh, it's the Alpha Gold property uh, in uh, along the Carlin Trend in Nevada, and as I understand it, you're mobilizing some drills up there now, are you? Um, well, we will be in the next few days. We're just uh-huh. uh, kind of crossing the T's and dotting the I's here. Um, we're posting our bond, and the driller is just completing, finishing another job off. So it's going to be 
a few more days, but uh, definitely uh, on the horizon very quickly here. Well, it's in the Carlin trend, and the Carlin trend is known as elephant country. Major gold deposits there, some of the biggest ones in the world, I guess, along that major trend. Uh, and I think in, in our past discussions, you sort of described the Alpha Gold property as one that might, well, it, it, maybe the odds of hitting aren't as high as, uh, say, your borough, your borough property in, in Arizona. But if you hit, you could hit something very significant there. What? Um, just tell our listeners a little bit about the target and why you're, why you're excited about it. Okay, Jay. Yeah, the target. Uh, we're right in the in the heart of the Carlin District, and uh, the structural controls that have been interpreted there um, show that we conceivably could have uh, a buried uh, Carlin type uh, gold deposit target uh, underneath Alpha Gold. There, um, the rocks are the favorable carbonate rocks that uh, host these. And um, they're uh, int- projected to intersect the Cortez trend, where there's already f- over 50 million ounces of gold that's been discovered. Uh, where they intersect there is uh, a good uh, preparation for, for this type of a deposit. Um, so this recent interpretation has really excited us, and uh, this will be the first uh, drill test of that. Um, we're expecting to be drilling between 1,000 and 2,000 feet um, to go through that uh, that zone within the upper portion of the uh, limestone unit, and um, yeah, we're we're kind of ready to do this. And uh, finally, we got finance to do it. We've raised over two and a half million dollars in the last eight months, and uh, this this now is going to be our our focus for the next couple of months. So I guess then. Um You'll you'll start drilling, and how long do you think it might be before you have some drill results? Well, if everything if everything goes well, probably around six weeks to eight weeks, depending on the speed of the drilling. But uh, right now, we're finding the turnaround time in the lab to be fairly uh, quick. So huh. I would say probably middle to the end of July. Middle to the end of July, and. What will you be looking for? I guess you'll be looking for those those carbonate rocks. As uh, uh, probably, what what will you be looking for? So investors that are wanting to keep an, uh, a track of this story when they read your press releases when they come out, what should they be looking for? Well, I think the main thing is that the stratigraphy is what we're we're expecting there, and that the geological model holds up. Um, so the description of the geology prior to the actual assays will will potentially tell a bit of the story on whether we're in the right uh, area or not. Right. And then, of course, what everybody understands is when they see that yellow metal and they see a number attached to it, uh, such as grams per, <laughs> per ton, right? I mean, there, it doesn't, there are not too many rocket scientists around, but all of us guys can kind of understand when, oh, yeah, we like that. 30 grams per ton, did you say, Corwin? You know, <laughs> well, we're well, not... We're not nice. the, the thing with these deposits is they're massive. They're like, uh, they can yeah, be tens of right. millions of ounces of gold. And so oh, if you, you intersect that horizon and, and indeed um, get gold in that, uh, in that structure at, at that intersection, um, you're going to get a lot of excitement. Right. And these are uh, very, I mean, these are bulk tonnage type projects too, a lot, aren't they? I mean, there, there may be some high grade intersections, but a lot of it is bulk tonnage. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Sure, you can get some high-grade intersections, but uh, generally you're looking for a large, uh, lower-grade deposit that can host, uh, you know, a million to, to 50 million ounces of gold. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that would be the dream. And, of course, uh, for a company with a market cap of uh, $8.7 million, uh, needless to say, the people that own the stock now, if this were to happen, would do very, very well. And I know that you've sort of really hedged your bets, Core, because, uh, you know, this is like, this is like, a, I don't know if I want to say a long shot, but it's certainly, if you hit it, it could be big, as you suggest, if it's mineralized and all. The structures you're pretty confident of, I guess. You'll know when you put the drill through it. Um, but, you know, I mean, let's face it, uh, $50 million, 50, 30, 20, 30, 10 million ounce deposits don't come along all that often, let alone the really big ones. Uh, so it is a, I mean, it would be wrong to say this is anything like a done deal. I mean, we'll just have to wait and see, right? So, but you've no, hedged is, your bets. This is a really uh, high risk, but very fertile, prolific uh, target that uh, um, a geologist, or pardon me, a broker in Toronto coined it, coined it our moonshot. And that's basically what it is. It's uh, it's a game changer if you hit one of these uh, um, gold deposits at depth and um yeah it's 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 ready to drill we're we're excited about going going forward with this mhm but the point is that your market cap is very low uh and you have two other properties one uh, the the burrow creek property that we've talked about when you were on before uh is a a lower risk property but i mean you don't have dreams of many tens of millions of ounces are either, right? But do, I don't know, do you want to talk about that one next or would you like to talk about what you're going to do in the Yukon? You've got another exciting property, the RC Gold Project in the Yukon. Do you want to talk about well, what your plans are there? Because I think you're planning to drill up there too this year, aren't you? Well, yeah, but I'd like to back up a bit there, Jay, that uh, we just yeah. finished our first phase drill program at Burrow Creek in Arizona mm-hmm. in, in April. And we okay. built the first uh, Ten holes uh, testing this mineralized uh, uh, zone going to the south um, that's been identified through a gold um, anomaly on surface, and we've confirmed that this actually is an extension of the Burrow Creek vein, mm-hmm. and the historical resource there that has uh, five million ounces of silver and about 120,000 ounces of gold um, was was drilled where this vein outcropped on surface. So just being able to take 10 drill holes and end up identifying uh, that this indeed uh, it traces the, the burrow vein to the south, we can connect the dots and say, yeah, our second phase now is going to be just uh, systematically drilling that, uh, that vein uh, system out um, and hopefully extending that gold and silver mineralization. Um, we've, we got a lot of information uh, from our first drill um, drilling there, and one of them is the, what where we are in the epithermal system and where the the gold silver zonation um, is. So the second phase, which we will be doing as soon as we get our BLM permits, probably in the in the um, late September October area, is uh, is tracking that vein, but but tracking it and drilling it where we believe we know the actual uh, horizon of the gold-silver zonation within the system is. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty excited about what we've discovered there to date. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, we're going to move up to the Yukon. And like you say, the RC Gold property is uh, is another uh, standalone 
um, high quality project that uh, um, has is in the right jurisdiction. It's in the Tombstone Gold Belt, which is part of the Tintina Gold Belt, but it's it's flanked on both sides there by um, two gold mines. One is um, getting permitted to go back in production. That's the Burry the Burry Creek mine, mm-hmm. and the other one is the Victoria Gold mine that's that's already in production. So sure. that belt is very um, prospective, and our target there um, is intrusion-related gold deposit targets. There's several of them. Um, what I would like to say is that uh, since January, we've uh, amassed 10 times the size of our our property uh, up mm. there. It's now over 328 square kilometers. Oh. So... It's uh, it's a really exciting project as well. And you're able to get up there, I guess, with COVID nineteen, uh, you'll, you'll you'll be able to get in there and drill. That's the plan. We've, we're just um, refining our drill program right now, but uh, the Yukon government has just announced that they're lifting the some of the restrictions. And one of them was that if you came from out of out of the territory, you were quarantined for two weeks, and that'll be gone on July first. Mm-hmm. So that makes it way easier for us to uh, to move up there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I can't imagine it. someone like you have to go up there and sit in a hotel room for two weeks. Uh, just with a couple of minutes left, I'd like to go back to the Burrow Creek just to get an idea um, in terms of the strike length of – so as I understand it, what you've done with your 10 drill holes is you've extended that uh, vein to the south. But can you give us an idea how far south and what sort of dimensions you might be looking at, or is it too early – to really say yet? Well, we, we drilled right to the end of our private property there, which was about 250 meters of strike length mm-hmm. that hadn't ever been drilled before. And, and then um, we go on to BLM uh, mining claims, which um, requires, of course, a, a permit. And we're in the process of getting that permitted right now. Two things happened. One is we had to do an archaeological study over that area. Mm-hmm. And we had to do a biological study. Those field studies are done, and those reports are being prepared to be submitted to the BLM as the final uh, step in getting our uh, our drill permit. And uh, do you, what do you know about? I mean, what do you know about the structure on the BLM properties? I mean, what sort of dimensions might it extend to? If you, if you can talk about that, I don't know if you can. Well, you know, we can because if you go to the end, uh, to the southern end of the property, the vein outcrops again, and it's about the same width as what was drilled in the historical resource. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so this vein, um, it does uh, have areas where it's, it flexes like that. And, um, yeah, there could be a lot of tonnage and, and similar grade. But what we're looking for is also the higher-grade underground component that could be um, in the one-ounce gold and 20-ounce silver range, which quite a few of the old historical resource drill holes um, had in them. Oh, interesting. So the potential for an underground deposit maybe somewhere down the road. Well, this is exciting. you got three things. Oh, absolutely. That, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the focus there going to the south for sure. <laughs> I mean, and again, to remind my listeners – a market cap of Canadian, eight point seven million. That would be something like five and a half, six million, I suppose. U.S. market cap. 
with three projects that are all three very exciting projects, some with, with higher potential success, but, uh, you know, who knows, that moonshot, uh, you never know. Um, you know, as they say, when they tell you to buy the lottery tickets, you got to be in it to win it. But, you know, here you've got three three kicks at the can, uh, lower, you know, high probability success at Burrow Creek, I would suggest, I would say in my own mind. Uh, and then I guess the work up there in the Yukon, you haven't done a whole lot of work up there yet, but uh, but it's very prospective from what I can from what I can understand. Oh, absolutely, we've got some refined targets uh, based on uh, structural interpretation and, and uh, um, gold anomalies on the surface. So, uh, uh, one of our give you an example. One of our uh, uh, targets is uh, the gold anomaly on the surface is about two kilometers long and a uh, five hundred meters wide, Whoa. and that. That has had some geophysics done on it um, that overlays the the geochem, and then the structural mapping has refined our drill targets there. So, so that could be a very impressive uh, first few drill holes into a brand new um, identified potential target. <laughs> really exciting! You've raised some money now. You're okay. Will you need to raise some more this year yet, uh, Corwin? Or well, this well, it depends. Um, depends we've got that. a lot of uh, warrants that are in the money, and mm-hmm. um, um, that could that could suffice us for the year if that mm-hmm. if that is the case. Mm-hmm. Well, um, certainly, if, if, you're... if we if we hit whether it's at Alpha or maybe both Alpha and and up in in the Yukon, um, that could accelerate the, the the need for more money because we want to uh, quickly start uh, figuring out what we're what we're looking at there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really glad you could come on with us today, Corwin, and, and refresh my memory and, and my and update me on what's going on because I own your stock. I'm very excited about it um, with the uh, low market cap and all these great prospects to look at. So I uh, wish you all the best, and uh, I hope we can keep up with you in the future as well. In the future as well, Corwin. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Jay, and appreciate your interest in Sitka. You bet. All right. Um, folks, we're going to go to break now, but don't go away. Alistair McLeod will be with us to talk about some very serious issues um, that I've talked about in the introduction today. Uh, currency issues, uh, all manner of credit uh, problems and so forth that you need to be aware of. We know that gold is doing extremely well right now. Not today so much, but it has been very strong, and there's good reasons for it, and Alistair will help us understand why you why that is happening and why you need to stick with uh, the time-proven money, the money that never loses its value, gold. So we'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer flagship Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete a very active 200,000-meter drill program through to the year 2021. Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last two years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, Alistair McLeod is with us again. Very thankful for him uh, agreeing to join us at this late hour uh, from his home in the UK. Thanks for uh, being with us again, Alistair. That's my pleasure, Jay. Well, it's really great to have you with us, and uh, I want to really want to would like to talk to you today about uh, your May 21st article, A Path to Monetary Collapse. And I should tell our listeners again, as I like to do every time we have you on, that they should go to goldmoney.com and uh, the research page at goldmoney.com and pick up your your weekly missives because I think they're very insightful and help us to understand why things are happening the way they are. Uh, And and in that way, um, be a little better prepared uh, to protect ourselves against uh, all kinds of things that are coming our way these days, um, you know, I, I want to address. I want you to to talk a little bit about that article, the path to monetary collapse. But I uh, would really like to also get your ideas, just in general, about uh, the UK economy right now um, and and the European situation in general. If you would comment on that, how how dire is it looking now? I'm looking. For example, I, I was looking at uh, a website here. I think it was the Atlanta Fed. They've got a GDP, a Q2 GDP in the U.S. of negative 52%. I mean, I just I can't get my head around that. Um, well, it is it is an annualized rate. Yeah. Just just to cheer you up a bit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I but think if, that's re- that's revised, isn't it, Jay? From around about uh, I think they were saying about 41.8%. So they've revised yeah. it downwards. Yeah, I just saw it's 52.8, so it's not yeah. – uh, I mean, uh, okay, so you're cheering me up a bit, but even so, <laughs> uh, even so, uh, you know, it's it's pretty dire. So, so just quickly, what are, your, what are your thoughts about the U.K. and, of course, the Brexit splitting away from the U.K.? Uh, just comment a little bit on – I mean, are yeah. we in a – are we are, – is, is the entire Europe in a depression? Well, uh, the answer is yes, and uh, um, I don't disbelieve what the Atlanta Fed says about the second quarter in America either. Um, I mean, we've been talking about this, I think, for about the last uh, year or so, that uh, we are headed for a uh, depression, let's call it a depression. It's something on the same sort of scale as we saw in the run-up to the 30s. We haven't seen a real collapse in the stock market yet, but we've seen the first leg down, which um, was really rather vicious. We're in a recovery phase, and the Fed is doing what it did back in uh, uh, the late late 1929. It's trying to sort of puff the markets up to keep it on the road. But uh, when Hoover signed uh, the glass, uh, not the glass Steagall Act, when he signed the Smoot-Hawley Act into yeah. Law, uh, I think it was about May or June uh, 1930, the market just went down and down and down and down. And at some stage, I think that the inflation bubble, which is now in um, financial assets, that will pop. 
and uh, then it's a whole new ball game. Um, as to what will pop it, I mean, what I certainly see is nobody seems to be talking about systemic risk, um, and uh, that I think is 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 something we should be concerned about. Uh, things happen which uh, tend to be unexpected in these times. The point about systemic risk is that the banks are horribly, horribly exposed to this economy. They have literally no um, ability to absorb uh, what they call non-performing loans. Uh, to you and I, clients have gone bust. And they are at the moment trying to reduce their exposure um, to, because I mean, they've moved from greed, bankers moved from greed mm -hmm. to abject fear. Mm -hmm. very very quickly and who would blame them i mean if you've got um, you know quite a lot of balance sheet gearing it's lovely when things are going well but my goodness it's horrid when uh, they're not mm -hmm. and that's why you know the switch from greed to fear very very sudden and what banker would not be very fearful in these conditions you know i think that's the simple question i can't think of any banker even an idiot banker <laughs> <laughs> who would not have noticed that things aren't going quite as he perhaps expected uh, five, six months ago. Yeah, I would suggest there's quite a few of those kind of bankers around, unfortunately. But uh, I, I think the, the system uh, really encourages idiot bank, uh, bankers because there's always a bailout, they think. And there has been so far, for the most part, the big boys. Yes, I think to be fair to uh, the bankers, they don't actually proceed um, in their business with the expectation of being bailed out. Um, so, I mean, you could argue that subconsciously they must be reassured that, um, you know, if everything goes to hell in a handcart, then, you know, at least we're big enough for the Fed to bail us out. I mean, I'm sure there is a bit of that attitude. But, but banks, basically, uh, bankers are just like us. I mean, they're greedy for profits. And when it's easy money and you can print the money in the form of of bank credit, uh, what's not to like about it, uh, except when the economy turns south, and when the economy sound, turns south, you've got a lot of bad debts coming your way. So mm -hmm. the question is, what do you do? I mean, do you try and um, uh, reduce your exposure to the uh, non-financial economy? Well, if you do that, what happens is you just undermine more of your customers, because if you stop lending, say, to a medium-sized business, all the small businesses will go with it. Mm -hmm. uh, large businesses, it's even worse. Um, so, no, what you do is probably you tell people with various trading desks within the bank um, we're going to cut your limits. And I think this is something which is actually happening on COMEX um, because, uh, you know, banks are trying to withdraw from COMEX. I mean, they have made losses, yes, but the real underlying problem is they've got to find somewhere to limit their liabilities because of what is going on in the wider economy. So they're cutting back on derivatives uh, of various sorts, um, Things like FX swap market, they won't want to do that so much. Um, they see the losses that are piling up when they get out, and suddenly they think, well, you know, we just want to cut that line of business, which is what Scotia yeah. did. But admittedly, mm -hmm. Scotia, you know, Scotia were going that way anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not really a very happy scene for bankers. Um, we might say that they deserve it, but actually, unfortunately, we do rather need them. Uh, we need them, but we could use bankers that are not so greedy, I would dare say. And uh, uh, you know, Yes. Uh, I mean, bankers, and, and, but Alistair, the, the whole fiat money system allows and enhances this greed, right? 
Exactly, exactly. That's that the whole sense. thing. And, you know, if you don't make use of it as a banker, then, um, you know, you've got to get sacked. <laughs> I mean, well, exactly right. Exactly right. I can remember uh, a CEO of, a, of a, when I was at Westpac Banking Corporation, Tony Walton, telling us lending officers that, you know, we better make some bad loans along the way or we're not doing our job. In other words, <laughs> push the risk curve out there. And I thought, what? That doesn't sound right to me. Uh, coming out of credit, I was always trying to make sure that we didn't, or that we protected the depositors' money. I thought that was seemed just seemed out of out of place. But anyway, uh, Alistair, you had indicated previously when we talked that you felt that the U.S. banks were in relatively good shape. Their capital structures were pretty strong, r- relative at least to the Europeans. Uh, do you still feel that way? And then I would say that if you're having a, a 52% negative. GDP in the U.S. in the second quarter, uh, what bank would be strong enough to, with, to withstand? Well, I think you make a very good point, Jay. But if you think that the American banks are in a weak position, mm-hmm. um, you haven't really <laughs> looked at the European banks. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I look at uh, Societe Generale, the big French bank, and this, these are globally, systemically important banks, um, you know, which are meant to have extra buffers and all the rest of it. But if you look at uh, their market cap and compare that with um, their uh, assets, the, you know, the assets uh, on the balance sheet, mm-hmm. you get a leverage in SOCGEN of 121 times. Holy mackerel. Uh, now, this is, now, I mean, uh, regulators will say, oh, no, no, you don't need to look at that. You need to look at the balance sheet, the shareholders' funds on the balance sheet and make the comparison. And then mm-hmm. that looks lovely. But... The problem is that the market is telling you something different. The reason that SOCGEN shares are way down the pan is because the market understands that this is a very risky operation. And that's why your leverage is up at 121 times. Other banks like uh, Deutsche Bank looking at about 80 times. Um, Group Credit Agricole, 78 times. Barclays Bank, our own bank here, 63, 63 times. If you look at J, uh, JPM Chase, they're about nine times. Um, Bank of uh, America is about 11.4. Uh, uh-huh. State Street is 11.3. So you're in a completely different league. Now, I'm uh-huh. not saying that your banks won't go under uh-huh. <laughs> in a real smash. But um, what will happen, I think, is that the crisis, the banking crisis, will start in Europe first. And uh, on that basis, um, you get the ripple effect You've got counterparty exposure, the whole thing. The, um, uh, the money markets will seize up. Uh, and then you've got a real crisis on your hands. And the only way out of it uh, is really for the central banks to just print the money for the governments to nationalize them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's yet another bill, you know, which is going to be um, paid for by printing money. So it's, yeah. um, this, I think, is the, next, is the next shoe to drop in this crisis. Yeah, and endless amounts of money being being printed, and of course, central banks already buying up. Uh, I think it's the Swiss National Bank that's buying all the you know the tech companies, right? So, I mean, you'll have all of these. What will be left of the private sector, Alistair, as things are going well, the way they're going? 
I think there's a slight, slightly different emphasis there. You have uh, central banks are basically trying to puff up financial assets. They need mm -hmm. to do this because yeah. governments who are borrowing a lot cannot afford to pay higher interest rates. So they puff up the assets. They want to stop corporations falling over. So what they do, they uh, buy corporate debt. Um, other central banks, sovereign wealth funds are buying equities. So it's just... As you're right. The right word is it's just the nationalization of mm -hmm. markets. But it will fail because the scale of it has got to be too big for it to succeed. And not only that, but it'll take the currencies with it, which is why uh, I'm on record as saying that I expect fiat currencies to be over by the end of this year. Fiat currencies to be over by the end of this year, which leads us to your, to your article then, the path to monetary collapse. And uh, help us understand how that how that can unwind, because I think it's just really difficult for people to perceive. Uh, those of us that have lived in the in the dollar, uh, you know, in the dollar centric universe. Um, so yeah. so things start to things start to topple over. Insolvency spreads. It leads like dominoes falling over, yeah. one to another. Uh, there's very little equity. Uh, the debt to I mean, I, I, you started out with your article, you talked about how central bankers think about the current situation. It's different. Uh, and and you've made this distinction before on the show that basically central bankers, they, they think it's a business cycle when, in fact, it's a credit cycle of their own doing, right? That's correct, yes. And why um, is that I, important? And why is that important, uh, that distinction, well, in the minds of central bankers? It's, it's, it's important because uh, the only solution that they have is to pursue the policies which got them into that position in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we're now openly talking about negative interest rates in the dollar. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that would immediately put gold and silver and every commodity into backwardation if that happened. I mean, mm -hmm. this is just uh, really crazy. But central bankers just don't see it. Um, it's, it's Keynesianism gone mad, if you like. It's the ultimate end of Keynesianism. And the best way I can explain this is to compare it with John Law back in uh, 1720, when he tried to uh, uh, get his, um, uh, his Mississippi venture merged with the Banque Royale, which was a sort of quasi-central bank, which he'd set up with the authorities' approval. He was printing the money to buy the shares in both ventures. Now, um, it was a support operation, but he couldn't actually keep the thing going, even though he had total control over the currency. And what happened by the following September, we're looking at September 1720, was that there was some notional value left in the shares of the Mississippi venture, mm -hmm. but the Libra, the French Libra, John Law's Libra, was worthless. And it literally, by pursuing this line of tying the currency's future to the future of financial assets, when it collapses, they both go. And that's what we face. I mean, you know, we haven't started yet, really. I mean, we have this situation where, um, uh, yeah, we know it's all shut down and we know businesses are shut down and so on and so forth. We're hoping that as they open up, we will return to some sort of normal, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And yet you've got um, uh, the Atlanta Fed saying, uh, you know, the GDP in the second quarter looks like being down 52.8%. I mean, right. you know, how do you recover from that? And how mm -hmm. do you recover from that? When you remember that even before we had the virus, we were having liquidity problems in the repo market, 
which was telling us that the banks were no longer lending at the pace to keep the whole show on the road. They mm -hmm. needed extra liquidity. They were in trouble before this virus started. And on top of that, um, you know, your wonderful president, president is fighting a trade war against China. Um, and whatever the merits of that, uh, it is economically destructive. So, uh, <laughs> you know, before we went on air, you were sort of coming out with a catalogue of things that uh, we face. I mean, it just doesn't look good, Jay. No, it, it really doesn't. Uh, it sort of reminds me of what you're talking about, John Law's situation there, uh, where the Libra became worthless. Uh, it sort of reminds me, I think it was Jim Rickards, I saw a tweet the other day in which he he said uh, in Germany, uh, the stock market was rising for the longest time and people said, who needs gold? Until one day they woke up and realized uh, that their currency, their their stocks that were denominated in, uh, you know, in, in the German currency, yeah, in were the worthless. Were yeah. worthless against the mark. I mean, the mark was worthless. Yeah. So what if you had a big number of marks attached to a share of, of of one of the German companies? It meant nothing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there is there's no escape. Uh, going, you know, saying, "Well, I'll hold equities as an inflation hedge." No, forget right. it. It doesn't but work under these conditions. But, but isn't that what they're doing? Isn't that what people are doing now in America? They're looking at the equity markets again. It's uh, pretty strong today. Somehow, it just seems to defy gravity. Equity prices just seem to be strong, and they, in the in the light of this kind of disastrous uh, stuff that's going on. I mean, every New York's every major city across the country is being sacked now by these. By these vandals, uh, and you know we have the COVID, we have, uh, you know we have a depression, we have a trade war, we have all these things going on, um, and so, all right, so, so that's what happens. Then the currency becomes. This is why you keep talking about John Law's, uh, the John Law experience, coming because that you you think that's the closest the closest analogy to what's going on now in, in yep. America or, or in the whole Western world, I suppose, in, right? In the whole Western world, John Law basically came out with Keynesian policies uh, in the early 1700s, and he managed to persuade the French to buy into it, and he destroyed France. This time, everyone is doing it, and they're doing exactly the same policies in terms of, of uh, currency and market management as John Law did to a T. It's incredible. Um, all right, so that's the path. Uh, how soon? You, so you're you're thinking by the end of this year? Uh, I think you're it's going, quite you're, possible. You've gone on record as saying you think by the end of this year, fiat money may be may be kaput. And if that's the case, then where do we go? What what do you see happening? Well, what I'm doing is I'm going into sound money. Uh, which is gold and silver. I, mean, yeah. I think there is nowhere else to go. Well, the I mean, if you're yeah. if you're a fan of uh, Bitcoin, um, you know there's a story there as well. But um, you just need to think. Don't go with it to the death because what's Bitcoin Bitcoin going to be measured against? It'll be measured in gold in the absence of fiat currencies. And if you measure Bitcoin in gold, you don't need Bitcoin. So. Um. <laughs> Alistair, what do you think, um, so far interest rates are heading with just, a, I see we have about three minutes left. Interest rates are heading down because they keep, you know, they keep obscuring the, the true cost of capital by pumping more money in the system. Yeah. Uh, so we don't know what capital really, what capital costs really are. Uh, of course, they're changing, I, I suppose, right now. Uh, who knows with all the destruction. Uh, interest rates, though, do you think that the U.S. will go into negative territory this year? 
Uh, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. It would be the most stupid thing to happen. And I think also that the banks, the commercial bankers will be telling the Fed, don't do it. This is nonsense. We don't want a tax on our deposits. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, President Trump in an election year, I think would be desperate for the Fed to do anything like that. So it'll be interesting. I think uh, poor Jay Powell will have the president blasting him off in, that, in one ear, whereas uh, yeah. all his friendly bankers will be telling him something completely different in the other. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it'll work out. I mean, it could be that things start sliding before that happens. Um, I mean, if you get a banking crisis, it, is negative interest rates appropriate to deal with it? No, I can't see no. it is. I think no. it would make it worse. Yeah. Well, yeah, you would think so. Um, and, and you've made the very good point, uh, again, I think this whole idea of, um, uh, of the need for time value of, of assets and that, uh, that, that gold, for example, has a, uh, a time value um, or an interest rate, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and and so if you push the interest rate in the U.S. dollar uh, treasuries to negative, why wouldn't uh, why wouldn't everybody exit the dollar and go go for gold or go for some some assets that uh, are that have some positive carry? Well, absolutely. It doesn't actually need to have a positive carry. It's the time preference which you mentioned, yeah. which actually matters. And that is the moment you have negative interest rates. In fact, the moment you have zero interest rates in the dollar, you have got. Uh, it may not be reflected in, you know, in balance sheet terms or in paper currency terms, but you have got uh, um, a backwardation in everything. So um, it just really does screw up everything. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think, uh, you know, something like the euro could probably get away with it, as we have seen, because mm -hmm. international commodities are not priced in euros. Mm -hmm. But the dollar is different. Yeah. Well, you made that point before, and it, it makes total sense for me. I know there are people that will claim that no matter what, the people have to own dollars. Uh, but I, I tell you, if it goes it goes the route of the Libra, I'm not sure uh, if, <laughs> if there aren't a lot of people won't change their mind on that on that view. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, anything else you'd like to pass along to us with a minute left? My engineer says 30 seconds. Yeah, I think, uh, well, uh, read my articles at Gold Money. Um, I'm writing one on silver, which will be published on Thursday afternoon EST. Good. And what was the one you just put out, uh, the last one? Cool. I'm we, trying to remember. <laughs> well, we, we, we talked about the one on May 21. I know there was one since yeah. then. I, I yeah. usually have all of them in front of me, but I, I, my apology. The point is people should go to goldmoney.com. Uh, go to the um, to the to that particular page there and read Alistair's work, and uh, you won't be sorry uh, that you yeah. spent a few minutes to do so. Thank you so much, Alistair, for being with us once again. That's very much my pleasure, Jay. Okay, thank you so much. All right, well, folks, uh, that is it for this week. Next week, John Rubino will be with me along with Michael Oliver and Ivan Bevic of uh, RN Resources. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Oren Resources is an exploration company defined by its aggressive ambition to find the world's largest mines. Oren has raised over $100 million in this effort and believes it is on to three major discoveries at its projects in Canada and Peru. 
This year, Orin plans to drill Sombrero, where targets have analogous features to the 10th largest copper mine globally. The company also plans to drill its other substantial base and precious metal opportunities that management believes will be complemented by the strongest bull market in commodities over the last 50 years. Visit AURYNresources.com and subscribe to keep up with the busy year ahead.